0: Um. turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll be there. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew somewhere around you that looks like this, and uh, it's, we're going to be on page 856 in that Bible. If you don't own a Bible, then let this be a gift to you. Um, if your mother doesn't own a Bible, you can take that and give it to her, happy Mother's Day, uh, took care of your gifting right there. Um, And so the only thing I ask in return is that when you get home, there's a few pages printed on glossy paper and color in the beginning. When you get home, read through those. It'll let you know a little more about um, what we believe this whole book is about. Um, My mom listens to uh, the podcast of the sermon sometimes. And so in Mississippi, she'll listen in. And if I ever make like a a joke or tell a story that she feels she needs to correct, she'll She'll always call me or text me and let me know. I think one day I said something about them not getting me a train set when I was a kid for Christmas, and I realized she had obviously listened to the sermon when one day I got a text out of nowhere, hey, sorry, we never got you the train set. Um, And so I used this opportunity in the podcast, sent out to the world, Mom, Happy Mother's Day. I love you. Um, And so thank you, Mom, for putting up with me uh, and for all the chaos that I caused, and being gracious to me. Since it's Mother's Day, I thought you might appreciate uh, if I read to you some advice given to mothers in the Mother's Day issue of Housekeeping Magazine um, in, May, in May of 1965. 1965 in a housekeeping magazine. They called it The Good Wife's Guide. And it said in part, just get with me. Hold on, listen. Plan, this is what it said in part of it. Plan ahead even the night before, to have a delicious dinner ready when your husband gets home from work. This is a way of letting him know you've been thinking about him and are concerned with his needs. Prepare yourself. Put on some makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. He's been with a lot of work-weary people. Prepare the children. Take a few minutes to wash them up, brush their hair, Change their clothes if needed. Remember, they are little treasures and he would like to see them playing the part. Have a cool or warm drink for him and arrange his pillow and take off his shoes. Over the cooler months, you should prepare uh, and light a fire for him to unwind by. After all, catering to his comfort will bring you immense satisfaction. Let him talk first. Remember, that his topics of conversation are more important than yours. Never complain if he comes home late or goes out to dinner or entertainment without you. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure and his need to relax. This was the instructions in 1965 in Motherhood magazine. And for some of you, you feel probably that works in your home. And for some, that was weird to hear, and and so different reactions. And so here's what I wanted to say. Today, we're going to talk about the S word. It's a big word, and people get really stressed out when you start talking about this in the pulpit. What S word do you think? Actually, don't guess out loud, because if you get it wrong, that could be really bad. Submission, that would be the one that we're talking about. And so we're going to talk about the word submission today and the idea, the beauty of biblical Submission. And what does the Bible actually say about it? So, ladies, I know some of you may be on guard. Don't be on guard. This is actually a beautiful thing that we see in Scripture. Some of you men are real excited, and you can't wait for your wife to hear this sermon and fall in line. Hold up. I wouldn't get, I wouldn't get too ahead of yourselves, because you're going to get addressed in this sermon as well. For those of you that aren't married or, or something like that, you may go, well, I guess it's time for me to tune out, obviously, this doesn't apply to me. Actually, this is actually going to very much apply to everybody in this room, and we'll get to why in a minute. So don't tune me out. Uh, you will be included. Many times, this was in, I saw this in the beginning of our Bible study group lesson, and I thought this was a really good introduction as well. Many times, our actions make a deeper impact on others than our words, for good or for bad. In the book of First Peter, Peter wrote to believers that were facing Persecution and serious suffering, leading up to chapter 3, his letter moved from reminding them about the hope that they had in the gospel in chapter 1 to reminding them to live holy lives in order to win over unbelievers in chapter 2. It is under this main idea in chapter 2 that we find the charge to submit to authority for citizens to their government leaders, servants to their masters, and now wives to their husbands. The goal of living holy lives is to honor God and point Others to the gospel I pointed out last week. Also, I found it interesting last week when we did the end of chapter two and then we skipped ahead of, over our passage today into chapter three. It's interesting that Peter sandwiches this section on marriage with how to endure suffering. Now, I'm not saying that he found marriage to be suffering. We know that Peter was married because at one point Jesus heals his mother-in-law, and you can't have a mother-in-law unless you're married. So we know that Peter was married, and maybe his was a suffering marriage, and that's why he did this the way that he did it. But as we look at the passage today, I want you to think about the why behind things, more than the what. Why? So here's some questions I want us to think about today. Why? Why does God even tell people to submit? Why, why is that even an issue in here? Why has God designed it the way that he has? Has he designed it the way that I'm arguing he has designed it, is the way that we see it in First Peter? Is that God's design for, for wives to submit to their husbands? And why would he set it up like that? We're going to get into that, and here's where this is going to apply to everybody. Because I'll go ahead and give you a little bit of the answer right now. Anything that God has designed... God has designed in order for it to do two things. One, he's worthy of glory, so he's designed it to bring him glory. Two, he loves you and he wants you to have joy, so he's designed it for you to have joy. For him to have glory and for you to have joy. So here's where this applies to everybody. As we look at this, if you're not married or you feel this doesn't apply to you, then don't think about it in the sense of marriage, but think about it in the sense of, anything that God has designed in your life. Any area of submission, any relationship that you have and where you should submit unto one another, where you should, Romans 12, outdo one another in showing honor, where you should be uh, not someone who came to be served, like Jesus said, but someone that came to serve. And when you think of even in those relationships, your work relationships, your school relationships, your friendships, as you hear this, think about it in the sense of that, that there ought to be two goals in every relationship, first and foremost, to glorify God, and then secondly as a byproduct of bringing glory to God, bringing joy to you. That's kind of just the premise of what we're going to talk about today. So if you would stand with me as we read God's word, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. God, as we look at your word today, let us not be distracted by preconceived notions or personal preferences. But Lord, let us submit, all of us, to your word. Not to mine, as the pastor, but Lord, to your word. And let us see what you have for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you would in spite of me, make this impactful and glorify in in, in the two ways we talked about, Lord, that we we would glorify you, that in our lives, each of us as we hear your word, would further glorify you with our lives and find our joy in you as a result. Lord, that even single people here or, or anyone that feels that this passage doesn't apply to them, Lord, that you would use the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit in the preaching of your word to bring us to you. Let us draw near to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first thing we've got to understand is that submission has a purpose. There's a purpose to this, right? And so we talked about in our Bible study group, pause for shameless plug, as I will do often, you need to be in a Bible study group because uh, we want you to truly engage in God's word. And so the way we've set that up here, and we think it's a pretty decent way, is for you to go into a Bible study group before this service and actually discuss God's word with God's people. uh, And you discuss kind of the same topic or, or even scripture before it's being preached and so that it can already start to warm your mind up um, because truth be told, you could read the same passage every day for the rest of your life, and if you'll submit yourself to it, God could just continue to speak to you because it's God's living word, and we think it'll engage you in a deeper way. We see here a very countercultural subject. A lot of times um, we shy away from this and feel like, man, it's a difficult thing to preach, difficult thing to talk about, and we even love to we love to sidestep it and make jokes about it. And so I've heard guys say. You know, yeah, I wear the pants in my family, and she just tells me which pants to wear. Or I've heard people say, I make every major decision in our family, and I let her make the minor decisions. We've been married for 15 years and haven't come up with a major decision for me to decide on yet. I've heard all sorts of ways that we love to joke about this and sidestep, in a way, what Scripture says, but the reality is Scripture says what Scripture says. And it says likewise. Now why does he say likewise? He says likewise cuz he's in this section where he's talked about obeying government, he's talked about obeying your your master, he's talked about obeying your boss, he's talked about these when you are in a position under authority to be subject and submissive and even with he even talked about slave masters and slaves and if you're a slave subject to a slave master to obey them. And submit to them. That was a hard word we looked at last week. And that idea that we we always find this morning, we talked about in our Bible study group about submitting, and someone said, Well, it's easy to submit to my husband when it's what I already want to do. And it's easy to submit to a good boss. It's easy. And and wives, when we get to this subject, and men, there ought to be a good word for us here that we know that we've been called, if we read Ephesians 5, to love her like Christ loved the church. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. And so we'll often come to this and we'll make this kind of word of, you know, of course it's easy to submit to a husband that's loving me like Christ loved the church. And I would say 100%. And men, you ought to strive to be that. And that is not an easy calling. But Peter doesn't let you off the hook here. He doesn't say, submit to your husband if he loves you like Christ loves the church. He doesn't say that. He says, likewise, just like I told slaves and their slave masters, and you and your government, and you and the emperor, including Emperor Nero or Claudius, whichever one they were under during the writing of this, who neither of them were good news for Christians, just as if, just as if I called them, just in the same way I called them to submit, to those people and cause you to submit to those authorities, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, I want to break down something that I didn't put on the screen, but I just want to kind of talk to you about it. You can look it up. A guy named John Piper, um, who I love a lot of things he says, I don't agree with everything he says, but I like a lot of some of the things he writes. And, and he wrote on this passage six things submission is not. And and this is out of this passage, six things that submission is not. So we need to clarify what we mean when we say the word submission. One, he says submission is not agreeing on everything. Submission is not agreeing on everything. Because obviously what Peter's writing to here is wives who live with husbands who don't follow the Lord. And he hasn't told them. You need to forsake your Christianity and just do what he says. If he tells you you can't go to church, if he tells you, then you can't, that you can't worship the Lord, then you just need to submit. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you have to agree with him on everything. Submission, second one is really similar. Submission does not mean leaving your brain at the altar when you get married, turning your thinking completely over to your husband. God has uniquely created you to be you. And your husband will be better for it when you are you, the way that God created you. Does that make sense? So submission is not, well, you're not allowed to think for yourself. You have to run every single thought through your husband and whatever you disagree on, you gotta agree with whatever he says. That's not what submission is here because he doesn't tell her to stop being a follower of Christ to not, doesn't tell her to stop believing and pursuing the Lord. Submission does not mean that you do not try to influence your husband. It doesn't mean that you don't try to influence. You you have a word. You have a voice. You have, you have a voice and an influence in there. My wife is one of the most amazing people I've ever met. And I'm not just saying that because I'm married to her on his mother's day. I'm telling you, she is someone that everything I've seen my wife do, she's excellent at it. Ladies, the ladies' lounge today was her idea. She was the mastermind behind that whole wonderful thing, right? Give it up for her on that. I can promise you I wouldn't be half the pastor. I wouldn't even be in this pulpit if it wasn't for my wife, if it wasn't for her speaking into me. And, and her influence in my life. I, I will always, in a halfway jokingly way, say, Jesus and Audria saved me. Jesus saved me from hell. Audrey has saved me from a lot of stupidity in my life. When she met me, I was a brand new believer. And I, I had just come really to an understanding of what it meant to follow Christ. And I still had a lot of really, really dumb habits in my life. And she influenced me in such a positive way to, for me to grow in the Lord. It became, and here's, for those of you that are looking for somebody to marry, here's, here's what just became such a significant moment for me. I realized something. I realized as a brand new believer that when I was around her, I wanted to love Jesus more. Like just being near her made me want to love Jesus. And then when I would fall more in love with Jesus, when I would spend time in God's word, it would draw me closer to her. And I just remember thinking one day, I mean, I don't know if everybody's got a V1, right? I don't know if I believe in that you've got V1 and because you better find that one. What if my V1 lives in Switzerland? Right? I don't know if everybody's got one. I know I do. Because I thought about it that moment. I thought, if, if growing closer to the Lord makes me want to be near her, and being near her makes me want to grow closer to the Lord, I better not screw this up. A matter of fact, my choices of ladies before her, and I won't tell you how many that was, was not pleasing to my parents to the point that when my father met Audrea for the first time, she'd come over to the house, and when she drove away, my dad, dead serious, looks at me and goes, Son, I don't know how you pulled this one off, but do not screw this up. (laughs) When we got engaged, he let me know, just so you know, if you guys get into a disagreement and a fight and it gets to be a pretty big deal, I'm taking her side. (laughs) And I thought, well, so were her parents. So what am I going to (laughs) do? It is only by the grace of God. Listen, she has been a major influence in my life. Submission does not mean that you are silent and that you have no voice and that you have no influence in decisions made. Submission also does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Some of you ladies may not have men that lead you well. And listen to me. If in any way they lead you to do anything contrary to God's word, you are not called to submit to that. You are are not called to submit to that just because he's your husband. And I'll I'll tell you why in a minute. We're going to get to why would God do this? Why would God say this? What is the purpose? Let's, Let's cover what it's not first. Submission does not mean getting all of her spiritual strength through her husband. Now, husbands, Ephesians 5 tells us our responsibility to wash her with the water of the word, right? It's our responsibility to lead our wives and our family spiritually. And some of you men need to step up and you need to own that role that you are the priest of your home. But listen, if he's not doing that, that doesn't mean that you don't grow. What, it, And I've seen this in my life. When I've grown distant from the Lord and I've seen my wife grow so close to the Lord, I mean, it challenges me influences me what if what if ladies what if in that moment when your husband wasn't what if and we'll get to this one without a word in a minute what if you were so in love with jesus that it just radiated out of you that listen he's going to get frustrated with you he might even make fun of you about it know that that's the sin in his life and that's it's being convicted and confronted we talked about this last week with slander if you live a holy life you will be slandered if you live a holy life in front of your friends and you you set a code of holiness for your life in front of your friends, you will get made fun of. You will get slandered. And sadly, this is often true in marriages as well. When you pursue holiness, ladies, and your husband doesn't want to do that, he'll find ways to throw little jabs in there and make fun of it push on. And every time he does that, tell yourself this. That's the Lord shaving it off on him. That's the Lord sharpening his iron. We talk about iron as iron sharpens iron. Do you realize that is a violent process? Iron sharpening iron is not like rubbing your hand on a nice blanket Iron sharpening iron is painful. And your husband in his pride is going to react at times wrongly to your influence in his life. When that happens, just praise God and push through it. Keep praying for him. Submission does not mean living or acting in fear. We'll get to that verse in a minute. On the, I'm going to ask Audrey to come up here for just a moment. If we can turn the pulpit mic on, um, I want her to share for just a moment with you. There's something she has a practice, so a little vulnerability for you. I don't know if you know this, but I'm not perfect. I'm not always a great husband. And so when I'm not a great husband, which has only happened once or twice maybe, she has a practice that she does that she learned from her mother. I wanted her to share with you ladies. Hi.
1: Um, Well, when we first got married... You know, things would happen. There would be conflict. And I called my mom, and I was like, what do I do? He's just not doing this thing that I want him to do, Um, and it's causing strife. And I'm nagging him and all this kind of thing. She's like, well, baby, you just need to do what I do. And I was like, well, what do you do? She said, well, you just need to tell God on him. And I said, what? It hit me in that moment. um, I was trying to be Jimbo's Holy Spirit. There's nothing I can do to change him, the only thing I can do is change me. Um, And I can go to the Lord and I can take our trouble to him. And I can take my conflict to him. Now I go to him and I tell him, number one, hey, this is hurting me, this is bothering me. And then I go, if nothing changes, then I go to the Lord. Because in that moment, I realize there's nothing I can do to change his heart. And I have to go to the only one who can. And so...
0: That's just been our practice. Amen. Thanks, baby. So why submission? What is the purpose? Well, we talked about it earlier. Everything has, has really two purposes, a primary purpose and a secondary purpose. And so now I want to ask my kids if they'll come up here real quick. All three of them, they didn't know I'm doing this. There's a practice we have in our family that we've, we've come up with because we started really thinking about when we had our first kid, what, what do we want these kids to end up like when they're adults? And so we have, and many of you have heard this, we call it the Stuart Core Values. And so I know they know it because we had a good conversation about it this morning. And so, um, all right, so loud so everybody can hear you and not super fast. Guys, what are the Stuart Core Values? Respect, integrity, self-control, and joyfulness. All right. Now, why? Why do we do Stuart Core Values? For the glory of God and our joy. All right. Give it up for them. Y'all go grab a seat. Now, do they fully understand what that's all about yet? Probably not. But here's here's why we're trying to do it. Now, check in in 20 years and ask us how it went. Right. Well, why are we doing it? Because here's what I want them to get, the same thing I want you to get today, that everything has its purpose of glorifying God and bringing us joy. So here's what I need you to catch. What what if, and when I say what if, just like the Bible uses if in a first-class conditional sentence, assuming the if is true, I'm I'm giving you the what if, and I'm saying this is true. What if God has put this together in a way that gives us a picture of, of Christ and his bride. As a matter of fact, that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, right? We're not going to turn there right now for a second time, but if you go to Ephesians 5, you've probably heard that preached during a wedding or something like that, right? You've heard about this wives submit to your husbands and blah, 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 and all these things. And it gives all these instructions for wives and husbands, and it's really good instructions. But the key verse, I think it's verse 32, basically that What Paul says is this mystery is profound or great or wonderful. And what I'm talking about is not marriage, but Christ and his church. And so listen up. When you change the why, it'll change the way you do things. We talked about this in our Bible study group. If the why for submission was because just for practical purposes, it makes sense for one person to be the head. And that is true practically. It is very true. Somebody has to eventually be the ultimate decision maker when there's conflict. Somehow, you've got to be able to come to a conclusion. But that's not why God did it. Because if that's why God did it, if that was the only reason, if effectively the purpose was just to get things done practically, then follow me, follow me logically with this. If that were the reason, then as a husband, I could say, here's where we need to go. And Audrey could say, no, I don't want to go there. And I could go... Woman, the Bible says, be quiet, be quiet. This is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. And maybe, maybe by the grace of God and humility in her and the Holy Spirit, she doesn't snap my head off. She quietly, maybe fearfully even says, okay, that's what we'll do. So she follows me right along to where we're going. If the purpose was to get things done, if that were the purpose, then haven't we accomplished the purpose? We have. If that were the purpose. If the purpose, if the reason that God did this was practicality, or if it was because, well, you know, women are just so emotional, they can't be good leaders. Maybe you don't say it out loud, but maybe you feel that way. Right? Or, well, because just naturally, this is, you know, men are the superior gender. Well, if that was it, then God wouldn't have written it the way he did. Right? What if... What if the word of God is true? And what if the word of God tells us, and it does, that this is to be a picture of Christ and his bride? That we as the church right now, not this building, but the people are the church. We are the bride of Christ. And Jesus is the groom. And how does Jesus love his bride? Unbelievably. Unbelievably gentle and gracious. And merciful. Think about how Jesus loves you. Just for a moment, think about this. And maybe you don't understand how much Jesus loves you. And I want you to get it. I want you to get, we were reading in our prayer time this morning, at 845, that in Psalm 139, that Jesus, that God knows every thought you've ever had. We talk about this a lot. If, if you knew every single thought I've ever had, I promise you, you wouldn't respect me anymore probably say the same about you jesus knows your every thought he knows your every deed and not only does he love you not only does he show you grace he catch this man follow me jesus loved. we're to love our brides like jesus loved the church this is key jesus initiated reconciliation when he wasn't wrong right you get what i'm saying here so there was, there was tension, there was beef, there was a problem between Jesus and his bride. The groom and the bride had a problem where they couldn't come together. We are the bride, he is the groom. We could not be with him because of our sin, no fault of his. I mean, you, you gotta catch this. There was 0% fault of Jesus, yet he is the one that initiated reconciliation. He is the one that stuck up stood up and took All the punishment that took all the pain that took every step to make things right between us and him. Men, maybe you should stop trying to win arguments and start trying to win the relationship. Maybe as my father told me, son, you'll never win a fight in your marriage, especially when you win. That laughter means you know that's true. You've done that. I've done that. I've won the argument l- logically, right? I've, we've come to the conclusion, decided I was right, she was wrong. Well, boy, things were awkward for a little while, right? Well, what if the relationship meant more to you? What if it meant more to you, the us? What if, whether, what if rather than fighting for me or even fighting for her, I fought for us? And the us became what was important. Men, this is the goal. This is the scriptural model. This is what Jesus shows us when he dies on the cross to pay for our sins so that we can be lovingly brought in as his bride. And he wasn't wrong. Listen, men, you haven't had an argument where you haven't had fault. You don't have an argument with your wife where you're not at some point at fault. Yet Jesus was at no fault. And he initiated. He humbled himself. He, even in Philippians chapter 2, uses the Greek word kenosis, emptied himself of his divine prerogative. Listen, if anybody could demand obedience, if anybody could say, hey, fall in line, it would be Jesus. And catch it, he wouldn't be wrong to do that. Right? I mean, Jesus wouldn't be wrong to come to you and go, hey, hey, fall in line but we don't see that he did that. He, we, we see that he lovingly and graciously, with truth, called his bride unto him. Well, you don't know my wife. You're right, I don't. I don't really see any exceptions here. So if, if that is the purpose then it changes the why, the how we do it. If we understand the why, it'll change the how. Secondly, strive for beauty that is precious and imperishable. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external. Yours may even say merely external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, very precious. Now, the word adorning means uh, that, that which you use to call attention to yourselves or that which you are known by, right? And so, so understand this is not a prohibition, Against gold jewelry. I can give you a couple of reasons for that. One, the let, do not let your adorning be external can be translated possibly merely external. That's one argument. Second argument logically is it says, it talks about the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. We are all grateful that today you decided to wear clothes. It is not prohibited in the scripture here. Just like that is not prohibited, gold jewelry is not prohibited, braiding your hair is not prohibited. This is not a prohibition. That's not what the scriptures say, because logically, if you say that, you would have to prohibit clothing as well, which, praise God, we have not done. But here's what it is, is what is your identity? What do you want to be known for? Do you want to be known as the lady who always has it together, who always kind of presents themselves well? Look, present yourself well but not to the expense of your identity or not to the expense of your family so i'll be honest it's a little hard to call ladies out on mothers day it's a little intimidating but maybe this is a scenario that might be familiar to you maybe it's not so if it's not that's fine maybe getting ready for church on sunday morning you're so concerned with getting yourself looking good that you end up snapping at the kids and snapping at your husband and barking orders at people and not speaking in respectful ways to people, right? This is just an example, right, of what it means to not let your adorning be merely external. Because here's, here's the deal, ladies. At that moment, what you've chosen to do is make your external appearance more important than your internal character. Right? I mean, am I, am I wrong? You've chosen at that moment to say, it is more important for me to look good than for me to treat you with respect. Do not let your adorning be external. Don't, so I would say it this way. Don't dress and present yourself in a certain in such a way that you desire for people to just stare at you. Admire your beauty, yes. Admire how you dress and your style, yes. But what if that's all you were known for? What if rather than that, you were known for being a woman of character and of godliness, respect, integrity, self-control, and joyfulness? Wouldn't that be better than being known as a woman who has it all together? Or maybe this. Maybe, I'm, I'm treading carefully here. Maybe you put on makeup because you're so scared of who you are without it. Maybe you dress yourself in a certain way because you're so scared of who you are. And like, I would just challenge you, ladies. Let your identity be shored up. I'm not telling you not to wear makeup. I'm not, not at all. I'm not prohibiting anything here. Ask, ask yourself the why. Why are you doing it the way you're doing it? Why are you choosing the, what you're choosing? Men this goes for you too. Why are you choosing the car that you drive? Why are you choosing this? Why are you doing that? Or is it is it because you want your identity to be known as something? Do not let anyone, listen, anyone, don't let your adorning be external. So, so for our single people here that want to be married, please don't be so foolish as to choose a spouse based off of looks. Be attracted to them, yes. But if that's all that's there, listen to me, that eventually goes away. That eventually fades. Gravity wins. So it can't be about that. If the only praise you ever give your wife is in her physical beauty... Step up and find some other things to love about her because they're there. How do I know they're there? I don't know your wife necessarily, but I know that she was created in God's image, that she's God's daughter. Praise her for her looks, but find some other things about her character. My mom was famous for saying, I have three older sisters. My mom was famous as saying to them growing up, pretty is as pretty does. Pretty is as pretty. All three of my sisters are beautiful and very successful. Pretty is as pretty does. In other words, and she would also say, Remember who you are. When they would leave the house and go on a date, she would say, Pretty is as pretty does. Remember who you are. That's what she'd say to them as they walk out the door. What she meant was, this inner beauty is what matters, this imperishable. Beauty, undefiled. This, there's a beauty in this gentle and quiet spirit. Now, gentle and quiet does not mean um, be silent. The Bible tells us to be gentle and quiet too, men. This is not a female calling. This is given to women here. And just a heads up, men, when your wife is nagging, it's probably because you haven't met her needs. It's probably your fault, not hers pretty is as pretty does. In Psalm 139 it ends, search my heart, O God, and let me know if there's any grievous way in me. This is a prayer I pray often. I would challenge you men and ladies alike to pray that. Number three, Sarah's daughters, I love this, are powerful. This is be careful here. There's the word weaker in here, but don't misinterpret it. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. How do we know that the women are powerful when in the last passage it called them weaker vessels? That's, a, that's an odd phrasing there, weaker vessels. Men, you cannot interpret that. Women, you cannot interpret that to be inferior. Really, the best way to translate that or illustrate that in my mind that I've come up with is like a expensive and valuable vase. Like if you were given this expensive, rare, beautiful, incredibly, like ought to be in a museum, like the Smithsonian might call you and ask you for it, vase, would you use that as a trash bin? Would you use that? to just throw things into? Or would you find a way to put it on display, to honor it, to cherish it in such a way that all could see its beauty? Why do I bring my wife up here for you to see? Because I want you to see her. I want you to hear her sing. I want you to hear her pray. I want you to see how blessed I am. And so men, listen up. This is the next passage that talks about weaker vessel. Do not, do not, speak to her harshly ever we'll get to why in a minute look how powerful women are in this passage This is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, not with external, but they were adorned, they were known, they made themselves known by their holiness, by submitting to their husbands, because the purpose was to glorify God and to bring joy into their lives. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, she followed him, listen, through craziness. And listen, ladies, you are her children. If, you do good. And I love this. You do not fear anything that is frightening. What if, what if you found your identity in Christ so much that you were no longer fearful of what other people thought of you? What if, what if you were so rooted, your identity was so rooted in who, how Christ sees you That when you thought, I'm unlovable, I'm unacceptable, I'm not good enough, you could look at the cross and say, would Jesus Christ ever die for someone that was unlovable? That wasn't good enough? If you measured that up to the cross, you could discount what anybody else says, or at least even what you perceive they say. Because often people aren't saying as much to you as you think they are. You think that people think that you're Ugly or dumb or not good enough or who cares what they say? Measure it to the cross and find your identity there. All right, we're running out of time. And I got to throw some blows on the men before we leave. The ladies get six verses and the men get one. But it's a haymaker. Likewise, husbands, just like slaves to their masters, us to the government, and wives to husbands. This is important, so I'm willing to go long for this. Men, listen up. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Let's stop there for a second. A great example I can give to you of this is if you've ever done the love languages. You guys familiar with love languages? Yeah. It's not scripture, but it's just a good idea. It's just good stuff, right? Um, so just as an example, if if your, men, if your love language is touch, affectionate touch, but it's not even like on your wife's radar, affectionate touch. She doesn't want you to hug her. She's not interested in cuddling, right? I'm not saying that's your story, right? Whatever, just whatever love language, pick it. Pick one that your wife's is not, and what if it's yours, right? We tend to, where we mess up in that is we tend to speak in the language that we hear the best, and so if my love language is touch, I may have a tendency to, to give loving touches, hugs and, and, and cuddle. And maybe that's not the way she receives that, right? Or if it's words of affirmation and I, I just so badly want to hear words of affirmation, that that's how I choose to show love to her is to give words of affirmation. But that's not, maybe it doesn't mean anything to her, right? I'm not, I'm not taking time to understand her. See, here's what we like to do, men. And if we're honest, sometimes when our wives say things that we don't understand, we like to dismiss them. Stop dismissing your wife. Figure out how to understand her. Live in an understanding way. Pursue her. Catch this, men. You're never, ever, ever done pursuing your wife. You don't reach a finish line. You haven't won her entirely yet. You are always to love her like Christ loves the church. And doesn't Christ constantly pursue and love us? So pursue her. Figure out how to understand her. How would she receive love? Showing honor to the woman is the weaker vessel. Again, it's like an expensive vase. And so here's the deal, man. When you dismiss her, when you speak sarcastically or speak down to her, when you speak harshly to her, when you treat her harshly physically. And I'm just going to pause for a moment, ladies. If you are in a home where you are being treated harshly physically, please come talk to somebody. And don't stay in a dangerous situation just because the Bible says to submit. That's not... But I was not saying stay and get beaten. It's not saying that. Please come tell me, come tell my wife, let us help you. Men, think about the way you speak to your wife, the way you treat her. Do you, do you respect her or do you, or do you dismiss her? Do you say words that build her up or do you say words that cut her down? Do you put her interest above your own? Because here's the whole irony of the whole thing. Although they're called to submit to us, we're called to serve them. Right? Submitting ought to be easy for them. Submitting ought not be a dirty word. It ought to be a really easy thing to do because we're constantly trying to pursue their best, their joy, what builds them up. Who doesn't want to submit to someone who's constantly looking out for their interest? So stop looking for your own. Lay, listen, men, lay your life down for your wife. That's how Jesus loves us. And that's how we've been called to love her. Since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Two things, and then we'll close with that. One. They are joint heirs. Co-heirs. Not inferior. The Bible does not present women as inferior to men in any way. They're not less than. Women are held in high regard by Jesus. In resurrected form, it was women that he first presented himself to. In John chapter 4 and 5, 3 or 3 and 4, we see him not reveal his complete deity to Nicodemus, but fully reveal his deity to who? A woman. Women are highly regarded by God. One of, the, one of the things that made the New Testament so scandalous is how highly it treated women. And yet we have decided sometimes, men, to take these words like submit or be subject to and turn it and flip it for our purpose. That's not the purpose. And so listen to this warning that Peter gives you men so that your prayers may not be hindered. If I were to show up in my father-in-law's house with my wife and kids and speak disrespectfully to his daughter in front of him and then ask him for a favor, how do you think that would go? It might, mend, it might end outside in fisticuffs. When, men, when you have been entrusted with a daughter of Sarah, a daughter of God, powerful, and you diminish her and speak disrespectfully to her, Do you wonder why God may not be answering your prayers? This is what the Word says. But here's the good news. Is Jesus did die on a cross. He did lay down His life for you. Men, women, children, all of you. Divorced, single, widowed. Children astray that don't talk to you anymore. He loves you. And because he loves you, he demonstrated that love Romans 5 says by dying for us while we were still sinners. The gospel is the purpose of your marriage and it's the purpose of submission. Not efficiency, not productivity, not compatibility, the gospel And men, that picture of the gospel will only be painted well when you are serving your wife like Christ serves the church and then she submits to you. Now, ladies, Peter says if he's not doing that, you you still win him without a word. You tell God on him, you live out your faith, You let your faith be contagious. You let your faith be convicting and you find strength in the Lord. Bring other ladies around you to pray for your husband. Let's pray. Lord, forgive me for going long on Mother's Day. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for challenge that you give to men and women alike. And Lord, I pray that we would live our lives for the primary purpose of glorifying you in our pursuit of finding our joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.